King David, his life, if you think about it, is it's an open book to us because we know so much about him. There's actually six different books in the Old Testament that talk about him. The, the two written by Samuel, the two kings, and the two the chronicler wrote, chronicles. They tell us of his triumphs, and they tell us of his failures. We hear that early on, long before he became a king, when he was what we would call a teenager, that he was a man after God's own heart. And we hear as a teen how he defeated the lion, the bear, and the Philistine giant, Goliath. And we know that he is the one who wrote some of the most precious words that we have in Scripture. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I have no other needs. And yet... We also know that he committed sins that you wouldn't expect a good man to commit. And his sins had consequences on his family. There was infighting among his children. Tamar is raped by her half-brother Amnon. Amnon is killed by his half-brother Absalom. And before it is over, Absalom is in revolt of David as king and is really out to put him to death. And he winds up being killed himself. Even the first child of David and Bathsheba, which was a result of their sin... But that even brought other things. Their lust, their adultery caused them to cover up murder. We also see that when David finally confessed to God and his sins were brought before the Lord, that he was finally able to set down the weight Of his guilt. When Nathan confronted him over in 2 Samuel 12 13, he says this He says, I have sinned against the Lord. No qualifiers, no hedging, no finger pointing, no blame game. I have sinned. Me, Lord, and no one else. Now, isn't that also part of what we love about David? His quickness to to repent and to try to revive his relationship with God? We have two psalms that he wrote, Psalm 51 and Psalm 32, which are the result of David humbling himself Before God. Over in Psalm 32, he deals with his guilt and his shame from that affair and the cover up with Bathsheba. And he talks about his need for confession. Now, today we're going to focus on Psalm 51 and we're going to kind of 
mosey our way through there. And its focus is slightly different. Its focus is really on God and on repentance and bringing that relationship back to where it should be. We read there in verse 1, David writes, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all of my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And you can almost hear his voice quivering, his eyes welling as he writes this, as he prays these words. But notice his appeal is not on who he is, but it's on who God is. That he is a God of unfailing love, a love that is purely for the good of the other and has no self-focus. He goes on, For I know my transgressions, my sin is always before me. Against you, only you, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. You see, David realized that a change was needed and the change had to be him. He realized he needed a change of heart. David was guilty, and he knew it. And he knew that the right way to get rid of that guilt is to stop trying to justify it and to just lay it at the feet of the Lord. Friend, have you ever had a moment like that? Have you ever done that? Just laid your burden at the feet of the Lord? Do you need to do it now? Today? I wonder, was your mom like mine? You know, you get caught in something, and you get called out, and you say, I'm sorry, I apologize. Was your mom like mine? Did your mom ever say something like, Are you sorry for what you did or are you sorry? Oh, you grew up with the same mama. My mama's cooking's better than yours. Why does that matter? Why does why you you apologize, why you're sorry, why does that matter? Because it reflects what? It reflects... Reflects your heart. Yes? We need a change of heart. We need to be sorry for what we did, regardless if anybody else knows about it or not. And David was sorrowful for what he did, and he went to God to make it right. 
Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the, the inner parts, in, in the heart, in, in the soul. You teach me wisdom in the inmost parts, in my heart, in, in, in my soul. Now the Hebrew here is, is a little hard to translate succinctly. Um, he's not saying that he was born in sin. This is actually a recognition of the fact that he was born with the propensity to go against God. What do we call that? We call that free will. Who gave you free will? Who allows you to go against him? God. So friends, don't ever blame it on God when you make a choice. Because he's given you the right to choose. He wants you to love him freely the way he loves you. But he's not going to force you to. We all make our own choice. And David realized that he needed a change of direction. When David was serving God, he prospered, even rising to the pinnacle of power to be Israel's king. But David took a wrong turn, and he started serving himself, and he became his own master. He became lord of his own life. And friend, when we are sitting on the throne of our own life, God is not. When things have gotten off kilter, he will try to draw us in. But we have to make a choice. David got off kilter and, and he knew it. And Nathan knew it. You know, Jesus over in Matthew 6, he says, you can't serve both God and money. You know, an older translation, it says mammon. It's actually more than money. It's just, it's wealth in general. When you think about wealth, is wealth of this world or of the next world? We accumulate stuff in this world, right? Okay, are we going to be able to take, us with, take it with us to the next world? So of what ultimate value is it? Now, I'm not saying that, that, that wealth is wrong. I'm saying how we think about it can be wrong. Because God will bless us in a way to help us to bless others, to let them know that he is there. Because what can we take with us to heaven? How about other souls that Christ died for? Amen? You see, if we take what God blesses us with and we invest it in his kingdom, we can actually take that with us. But can we really serve wealth? 
I'd say no. You know what it is we're really serving? Serving ourselves, right? If we are the masters of our own destiny, then God is not. And if God is not our master, the cross has no meaning. If the cross has no meaning, friend, then we are lost, dead in our sin. David realized that he could no longer live for himself. What he needed is he needed a savior. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide my face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. And those wonderful words, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. A willing spirit. Friends, we can get off track all by ourselves, but it takes a loving, forgiving God to make us right. We tend to look at David and go, "Eh, yeah, but I've never done anything like that. And then we set kind of a degree on sin, you know, And, and, and actually we do that in a sense of trying to justify what we have done. But friend, God is no respecter of persons. He judges each of us according to what he made us to be and how we individually fall short of what it is he designed you to be. And by the way, David is the wrong benchmark. The right benchmark is our Lord Christ. God has no hierarchy of sin. To him, sin is sin. Two verses you will memorize as long as I am here and you will remember them after I am gone because you will hear them over and over again because they're important for lots of good reasons. Romans 3.23, you already know it. For all have what? Sinned and what? Fallen short of the glory of God. What does all mean? Very simply, all means all and that's all all means. Can, Can you get that with me? All means all and that's all all means. But you know what? When you're talking to someone and you're trying to talk to them about the grace that God gives, do you know what all means? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Do you know what all means? It means me too. Because we're just beggars helping other beggars find bread. Romans 6.23 The wages of sin is 
but the gift of God is eternal life, which is found in Christ Jesus, our Lord, our master. Is he truly master of your life? Is he on the throne of your life? Friend, if God will not forgive us, then forgiveness can't be found. Whether we're a murderer or gossip or a liar or we just have an unwilling spirit. Because you see, our restoration can be found in Christ alone through the sacrifice of the cross and only when we humbly come to him and ask for it. There are times when I get asked a very interesting question. Will there be good people in hell? You know the answer to that question? I hear some little bit out there. Do you know the answer to that question? The answer is what? Yes. Because it depends on what standard you're using. Because if you're using God's standard, there is no one good. For all have Sinned and fallen short, yes? But the world standard... Friends, being good by the standards of this world is not a saving grace. The only saving grace is the blood of the cross. That's the only thing that can purify us from unrighteousness. That's what can take away an unwilling spirit. That's what can make us clean and whole and new. And acquitted of sin in the sight of our Heavenly Father. And you know, some people would say, well, why do I have to serve him? Why does he have to be so mean? Well, friend, he's not. The other question, the one you really need to consider is, why are you so stubborn? Because he came and he died for you. And he made a way for reconciliation for you to come back to him. A way for soul revival. And it's there. And it's here. If you'll just take it. Over in 1 John 1, 9. John writes that when we come to God by Jesus, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from everything that we have done. He's not mean. He's consistent. And he's loving. And he's patient. David knew that there also needed to be a change of behavior. Listen to what he says as as this wraps up. Just just listen. Then, then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips. With my mouth I will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God 
or a broken spirit. A broken spirit, a contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. Now look and see what David says is going to be his new way. He says, I will teach. Remember, disciples, disciples learn in order to teach. In other words, discipleship is training for trainers. That's what it is. When you become a disciple, you learn more so that you have more to tell others about. Now, you give a girl a diamond ring, do you hear about it? Can you stop her from showing that ring to everybody? I bet you, even if she's in the restaurant, she'll stop the waitress, the waiter, and even the manager on the way out. Right? You give a high school senior a new car, and they're going to drive that thing all over town and show it off. If your team wins the Super Bowl, you're going to be on the phone for hours rubbing it in. Unless your name is Scott Dunphy, because if the Lions ever win the Super Bowl, he's going to have a heart attack. (laughs) Friends. When we receive eternal life, what should we be doing with it? Shout it from the mountaintops so the world will know. See, that's what David's saying. Father, I appeal to you on who you are. To forgive me because I know what I am. And when you do that, I'm going to shout it from the mountaintops. And I'm going to do it so effectively that lives are changed. David realized that he needed to develop a new heart for people. He said, I'm going to sing your praises In fact, every time I open my mouth, I'm going to praise you. But you notice David's relationship did not begin and end with praise. Praise is actually in the middle of two extremely important aspects of David's relationship with God. It's praise in the midst of proclamation. And then he says... I am going to make my life a sacrifice. So it's praised in the midst of proclamation and it's also praised with how he lives his life and who he lives for. You see, David realized that God was after his heart all along and that sometimes, many times, most of the time, maybe Every time it takes a broken spirit. It takes us to give up personal sinful pride to come to him. It takes a contrite heart, a a repentant, penitent, willing to serve 
change of heart. Look there at your sheet if you've been been filling it out. What's it say? A change of heart, a change of direction, a change of behavior, a heart for people who need God, a sacrificial life. Do you know what that adds up to? That is revival. Oh, you're wondering when I was going to use that word, weren't you? I've been talking about it the whole time. That's true revival. According to David, did God initiate that or was it David who initiated it? It was David. He had to come to the point. See, we we come to church and we pray for revival, but the problem is, is God's not the one who brings it. You know what brings revival? Us turning and going with him. Where he is going, where he is already working. So, revival is a renewed relationship with God that happens when prodigal people repent and return ready to teach and praise and live a sacrificial life. Revival biblically is not an event that's marked by evangelistic preaching resulting in a few emotionally motivated decisions. The secret, real revival happens when the people of God return to him and to his mission. And when that happens, the kingdom multiplies. So what are you going to do? Friend, you can experience revival today. It's within your ability because you can decide what kind of relationship you are going to have with God. And maybe you have a good relationship. Maybe you just need to move to the next phase of sharing that relationship with someone else. We're coming down to this this call to action, this, this point where we come to the end of the service and sometimes people think it's, we're going to sing a hymn of decision. We're going to have an invitation. Well, actually, it's not just for people who don't know him. It's also a time for people who do know him to renew their relationship. If there's anything about that that you want to talk about, just take one of those cards, write it down. I'll, be, I'll get it. I'll call you. We'll have an opportunity to sit and talk. You want to find out more about baptism? I'm more than willing to do that. But today, as we sing this last hymn,
I want you to reflect where you are. If you need to do what David did and come to God and do that right there, that's fine. Just do that. The rest of us will sing. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Have you made that decision? Father God, we thank you. We thank you for David. We thank you for the flawed people that we see in Scripture. We thank you, Father that you have always used flawed men and women to do your work. That you have constantly been a God who has allowed us not only to make our own decision, but you have allowed us multiple opportunities to decide to put you on the throne of our life. And we thank you, Father, That even today, you give us an opportunity to renew our strength and renew our relationship with you. We thank you for the blood of the cross, and we thank you for this moment. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand and sing with us.